This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 78. We're going to be uh, looking at this psalm, uh, talking about uh, the generations. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Uh, Pastor and his wife are uh, beginning uh, their uh, time at the Southern Baptist Convention. It's meeting this week in Dallas. And so be uh, very much in prayer for them as the work of the Southern Baptist Convention really is the I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the Southern Baptist Convention only actually exists two days out of the year. Did you know that? Two days out of the year when the churches come together, gather together, that is the convention of churches. The rest of the entities and institutions and the work that is done is the carrying out of what's decided and the work of those institutions uh, that are directed by those two days of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so it really is important. We give money and we give time and resources to that and we partner freely um, with other with the Southern Baptist Convention and it is very important that the, uh, the representation of those who are on boards and committees and all of the work that's done there is done in a way that uh, is effective and, and has the maximum impact on the kingdom of God. So let's look today at this passage from Psalm 78. I want to read a few verses and then we'll begin. Give ear, O my people, to the law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, and we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works he has done. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to speak about your shaping us into the disciples that you would desire for us to be and the outflow of those lives lived well for you and for your kingdom being the work that we would do in making disciples Lord, we love you and we ask this prayer in the name of christ amen if you uh, look at your program that you're given each week, of course in church life we call this a bulletin, you'll notice that there is a little section of this, uh, of this bulletin that has a statement. And it says, we exist to glorify Christ by making disciples that make disciples in our community and around the world. That's our vision statement. That's our purpose statement. Some would call it a mission statement of why it is that we exist as a church. And I want to talk today about a section of that, the section of the phrase that says disciples making disciples. This is part of who we are as a church and it's important. It's something that we need to be talking about a great deal. It's a concept that would be important for us to discuss in in many ways. And we are having those discussions again and again across the life of the church. But sometimes I think that in our personal lives, we are sometimes hesitant to act on that, to act on a disciple who is then making disciples. 
I mean, we, we ask questions. We say, well, if I'm going to disciple someone else, I mean, what, what, what do I have to offer? I mean, I've made a, a lot of mistakes in my life, and I'm not sure I really have a lot of advice to offer someone else. Someone might say, well, you know, I've, I've been coming to church for a while, and I definitely have more knowledge than I've had, you know, in the past, but I, I realize that, you know, I don't know a lot. It seems like the more I learn, the more I realize how much I little know, how little I really know, and I don't know what I could really teach someone else. And, and besides, I'm not even sure where I would start, I'm not, or, or how I would start, or who I would start with. But yet at the same time, we're having those discussions. There are cultural issues that are going on around us. And persons who are naming the name of Christ, who are clearly struggling in their faith and are in need of someone to, to be significant, to have a significant influence in their life. And I want to kind of hone in on an area, uh, in the area of parenting, where I think this is, this is really true. Cultural factors are bringing change in our culture, and we often see those influences. And, and we ask, you know, how will I instill character in my children? How will I instill character in my grandchildren? And, and how do I challenge someone else to live a faithful life for Christ? You know, we want to see our kids succeed, do we not, as parents? And I think in parenting is one of the places where you really do have that opportunity as God gives you uh, children in a home for a period of years and you have an opportunity to have discussions with them. That is a process of discipleship. But, you know, we, we want our kids to be successful. We want them to be successful ac academically. We want them to succeed through sports. Uh, we want to see uh, character development come out of that because we know that sports uh, often can teach them self-discipline. It can teach them self-control. You know, there are a lot of things that, you know, sports can bring. And so we will invest the time. Hey, I want my kids to play sports because there's so much that they could gain from that. We want them to have the right friends. We want them to have the right grades. We want them to be a person of character. And of course, we want to see them be strong spiritually. We want to see them have uh, a lot of these things. But oftentimes, I think as parents, in our pursuit to have all of those things, to make sure our kids are having the things that we desire for them, that sometimes our pursuit of, of going after that, that pursuit of, of making sure that we're ordering their world in a way where they can flourish, that we oftentimes are tempted as parents to pursue temporal things, things that really don't matter, and in, in to the exclusion of spiritual things. All the time saying, now, kids, you got to put God first. You got to put God first. Hey, you need to put God as number one. But our lives oftentimes have a somewhat of a contradiction because in our pursuit of those things we'll say well you know maybe it's not that important you need to do this or maybe um, you know we need to be involved in this league and and somehow in the pursuit of those things we go after things that are temporary and obviously at many times leave the spiritual behind today I want to look at this scripture passage that we began reading and it really is an instruction to Israel. Israel was struggling with the same thing, the nation of Israel at the time that this psalm was written. They were struggling with a sexualized culture that was very prominent. They were 
pursuing prosperity, and oftentimes that was collapsing into idolatry. And there was a focus on temporal things that somehow was being placed above the worship of God. Central idea of this text, as you may have noticed, is addressed to fathers. And our fathers have told us, and we will not hide them from their children, telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord. It's a passage that challenges us to teach Scripture and to model authentic lives of faith and to be about the work that God has called us to in the role of discipleship. So I want you to see three things because this passage really develops, I think, which is true not just for parents, but I think this is true for all of us as Christians, that we need to be eager learners. We need to be authentic doers, and we need to be intentional teachers. So let's start with this aspect of being an eager learner. Notice in verse 3 he says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So he says that basically the pursuit of understanding God, because really that's where it has to start. It has to start with me as a follower, me as a learner, as a disciple. And he says that there was something that we heard and there was something that we knew. There was something that we listened to and there was something that we put into, into practice. So this word that's heard is the Shema. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord is one God and worship him. And uh, it's this idea of hearing as proclamation is being made. And he said, we heard the proclamation, but we also know. And our fathers have told us. So he puts together two things, hearing and knowing. You hear something and then you carry it out. And we, we, we say that to our kids all the time. Hey, you need to hear what I'm saying but don't just hear me, I want you to do it as well. And when, we, when they start doing it, then we, we know that they got it, okay? Of course, the policeman has that conversation with us. You know, when he stops us and says, are you aware how fast you were going? That this is a 55 mile an hour speed limit? Oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, we might have known it, but our application was on the wrong side of that because we weren't doing what we said that we knew. And so the word that's used here for know has the idea of an experience that I know by experience that I'm skillful in carrying it out. So he's basically saying that I want to share with you this teaching, this aspect of what I want you to understand that we have heard and that we have Put into practice and he clearly puts those two things together now notice this notice what he says in verse 5 for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel and he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children so scripture is clear in many places that we are to be growing in our faith, that we're to be learners. In fact, the word disciple really is the basic word for a learner. 
And that as Christians, when we say, I am a follower of Christ, I am placing my faith and trust in him alone, forsaking all others, I'm trusting in Christ. At that time, we become a disciple, a learner, a follower of Christ. But oftentimes, that learning of what's next and where we go and what are the things that need to be in my life oftentimes get confused. New believers oftentimes struggle with, okay, well, you know, where do I read in the Bible? And, you know, what, am I, what do I need to change in my life? And, and where is the beginning point? And oftentimes they'll come to church looking for answers, looking for someone to say, point me in this direction. And, and we want to do that, and that is so important that those things are taking place. But before I can guide someone else, I have to be that eager learner myself, that person that is following after Christ. And I think what happens a lot of times is we get to a point where we're kind of comfortable. We know some knowledge. We kind of have an idea how the church works. We kind of, you know, have read the Bible a little bit. And so we're kind of comfortable. And so we kind of settle into this area of living life. And we're not really going to the next level. We're not really developing ourselves spiritually. I want you to hear some things that Christ says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Scripture in 2 Peter says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, the scripture, to which we will do well to pay attention. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So all of these passage, passages clearly teach that Christ has the intention for us that we'll hear the words that he says and we'll put them into practice. So how do I hear Jesus today? Now, I'm, I'm not in Israel. You're not in Israel. Um, he's not in Israel. He is at the right hand of the Father. So how do I hear him? How do I know that Christ is speaking and what are the ways that I know that I am following after Christ? Well, we would say, well, the scriptures, that's how Jesus is speaking. That's how we learn of him. That's how we learn about the whole big picture, this grand narrative of how God before time was planning and working and he uh, created a world in which he was to be sovereign and Lord. And there was this process of creating man in the image of God. And as the image bearer of God, man fell into sin and that world became broken. But God immediately began a process, which the Bible says had been planned from the very foundation of the world toward redemption. And ultimately that redemption would be realized in Jesus Christ. And Hebrews says that we have a word that we have a sure word, and that sure word is in the Scripture. For God revealed himself, beginning with Moses and the prophets, and the writer of Hebrews says, and now in these times has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. So we have the resource. The resource is with us. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, talk to me. Talk to someone in the church. We have Bibles that we would love to give you because that really is the place where you have to begin to invest yourself in the investment of God's Word. And, and the Bible expects us. In fact, do you know that one of the greatest factors in persons who start the journey of faith 
and then begin the process of growing in their faith till they get to a point where we would call, you know, spiritual maturity, that the number one factor in studies where people have gone and, and looked at the lives of these persons who had radical changes, that their engagement with the Bible was the key factor in their spiritual growth and in their maturity. That one simple thing, engagement with the scriptures, where they were reading it individually, where they were bringing resources to bear, trying to understand it, whether it was through a study Bible or they were involved in a group that was studying scripture together. And in that group, there was a process of discussion where there were older believers and younger believers and they were learning from one another. And there were discussions that were going on that were saying, okay, this is this, these big concepts, but how do I live that out? How do I take that and get that down to where it's at the office, it's at the, when I'm in the car and someone cuts me off in traffic? You know, how do I get those things to the basic areas? How I raise my kids, how I speak to my spouse. How does scripture go to that level? It's clear that that happens when people begin to engage in the reading of scripture. So we make a big deal about that. When you come to worship, you hear the Bible preached. When you go to Sunday school, someone has a Bible and they're teaching concepts and there's discussion going on around the Bible. When we talk about issues and okay, you come to us and say, you know, I'm having this issue in my life. We say, well, let's look at scripture. What does God say? There's a reason why we're always pointing you back to that point and to that place. Because this isn't just a, a uh, come in, learn a few rules, and then, you know, I'll just keep down the, down the road. This is a matter where God wants to change you. He wants to change your character. He wants to change you as a person. And in fact, when you come to faith in Christ, the Bible literally says we are born anew. We are born again. That there is a new nature inside of us that is placed there by God and the Holy Spirit is residing inside of us and that Holy Spirit is our guide through that process of learning. And so when we place an emphasis in children's ministry and in youth ministry and in other areas and we're talking about the Bible, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, these kids are facing a lot of things in life. You know, there are temptations that they have. There are other things going on. So we need to talk about the relevant issues of the day. And while that may be true in some extent, the way that help them deal with those issues is not just in the discussing of the issue. It's in giving them the tools that when they face those to know what would please God. How could I live an obedient life? How could I... Uh, know that the action that I'm taking is the right action to take. Is there anything that God says about this? And so when we're pointing them to scripture and then allowing the discussion of the day to come out of that scripture, then we're giving them the tools to see life and understand that. And as parents, I think that's so important. But the problem is that for most American Christians, we're not listening um, very well, or even spending much time engaged in Scripture. In fact, um, Al Mohler last year did a blog where he talked about biblical Christianity and basically how the secular worldview is actually even beginning to impact Christianity. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Costelli put the problem squarely when they said, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. 
And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Well, how bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's the worst than one could imagine. Listen to these statistics. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to the data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the commandments all the time, he says, kind of a, of a, a side note. Multiple surveys reveal these problems. According to 82% of Americans, the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. And, he, and the, the article goes on and on. I'll, paste, I'll post it on Facebook later if you want to read more details. And the problem is that somehow in the midst of needing this resource for our culture, needing this resource so that we can live faithful lives, needing this, this research, we've left behind the pursuit of learning, the pursuit of knowledge. And as Christians, we've got to rediscover that, that, that pursuit of God and knowing him and knowing his word and knowing it is what he has said and taking those truths and applying them to our lives. And if you are going to grow in your faith, if you want to see God do something in your life, that cannot happen apart from your engagement in God's word. It's vital. If you're not in a group, get one. If you're not reading your Bible every day, take time to do that. I remember I was complaining one time, you know how your kids will kind of call you out. Shelby was probably in middle school at the time. And I was complaining about how I didn't have time to do this or that. And I really wanted to be reading scripture more. And I was being very transparent at the, at the table about that. And she says, well, Dad, you have time to watch TV. And she named all the news channels that shows that I was watching. She says, you have time to watch all of those. Got a little quiet at the table about that point. But you know what? She was right. Because I was finding all of these other things and instructions that I was, you know, felt like I just had to know and I was missing out on significant time in God's word. And it changed something in my life. Bible tells us that this part of making disciples who make disciples for parents has to start with us engaging in scripture. We can't teach something to someone else that we're not learning ourselves. We can't impact the lives of someone else if the Holy Spirit is not doing a work and we're not allowing him to do a work in our life. You know, we, we, we make excuses, you know, of why that is, but all of those excuses go away. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the teaching of Christ, let the word of God dwell in you richly, admonishing and teaching one another. Isn't that interesting? Paul says that, yes, it begins with me. It begins with my pursuit of him. And whether you're a parent or whether you're not a parent, if you're a believer, this pursuit of, of engaging in scripture is for all of us. 
But there has to be an outflow of that. We were never considered just where that just comes in and comes in and comes in. And it never goes back out because we have to be doers as well. And so you'll notice the next point. Authentic doers. And the verse, and then this verse 7 says this. That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Verse 6 indicates that there were five gen generations being addressed. Notice what he says, the generation to come might know them, that the children would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, and they may set their hope in God and not forget his works. Parents, if you want to help your kids be focused on Christ, focused on a life that glorifies him, there is a process that you have to engage yourself in. It's hearing the story of that first generation. And he goes on in this passage and gives example after example how there was a generation that literally saw God's power right in front of them. A generation that saw God move, God speak, God send food, God send water out of rocks. And somehow in the midst of that, they rebelled, they sinned, they walked away. And he says, you have a responsibility to tell, to tell this generation and the next generation, but that generation begins with learning the story and understanding the story from that generation. But if you are a believer, guess what? There was someone who told you the gospel. That's a second generation. And then as you heard that and you believed, you're the third generation. And then as you teach your kids, as you teach other people, that's the fourth generation. But remember, it's disciples making disciples who then what? Make disciples and it goes to the fifth generation. And if that process is going to happen... There has to be this discussions, this telling, this, this authentic living out what it means to keep the commandments of Christ. You can go back to uh, Moses and the Exodus, and time after time after time, God said, when you go into the land, now that these things have happened, you have got to keep my commandments and live them out. And as you keep those commandments and as you do these things and as you worship God alone, then these things will happen. But if you go into the land and you don't do those commandments and you fall into sin and you worship other gods, then these things will happen. I think it's pretty clear the direction that God wanted them to go. And he desired for them to go. But somehow they kept collapsing back into that second option where God had to bring punishment and destruction upon them. He states that these generations must arise. So what does doing look like? What does authentic doing look like? What does authentic obedience to God's word and living out these truths look like? Well, there's a companion passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 7 that makes this statement. It says, impress them, talking about the commandments, 
on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. All right? Now let's see if I got this straight. So when I go home, I'm to talk about God and his work and what it means to, to live out authentic faith when I'm sitting down, when I get up, when I go put people to bed, when I go to bed, when I get up. What, what does that not cover in your home? Sounds like about every evening at my house where we come in and he's saying, the place that has to begin is impressing this upon your children. That as they go along life, and as you go along life, it's pointing these things out. It's, it's saying, okay, this is how we're living out our faith as a family. And so here is this story, and here are these things, and here are the things that are, are important. And using that spiritual influence to impact our children. But oftentimes what happens is we're so much in rebellion ourselves, doing what we want to do, pleasing ourselves, doing the things that we want to do, the things that I deserve, that we are leaving a generation behind in pursuit of temporal things. And we're forgetting that there are other people walking alongside of us. And we've got to take a pause. We've got to hit the pause button and not say, where am I going? And change the direction, if that direction is for ourselves, to change that direction to God, but also begin to change the direction of those that are around us. And that applies whether you are a parent, whether you are a grandparent, whether you are a teacher, whether you are an influencer of your friends, no matter where you are, that is true of you. There must be an authentic living out of faith, the keeping of faith that has to be in our lives. And unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is we're saying, yes, I'm a follower, I'm a follower, but then we're over here engaging in things for the pursuit of ourselves that don't really seem to really reflect the commandments of Christ very well. They don't really reflect personal purity and holiness very well. And we're all doing it in the name of freedom. Oh, I'm free in Christ. But we're allowing those things that once enslaved us somehow to capture us again in the midst of our freedom. And you know what? People look at that. Our kids look at that. And what do they say? Mm, Mom, Dad, looks, you know, we don't want to say the H word, do we? Hypocrite. But sometimes we are. And it's a reminder that guess what? We have to, we influence our kids. Parents, you influence your kids more than you realize. And study after study where they have asked kids as they became adults, who was the most significant person in your life that influenced you spiritually? Do you know that when they give a rating on a scale of say, um, I got the scale here, um, very significant, highly significant, significant, somewhat significant, or no significance, that in those top two categories, when they ask young adults, who was the most important person in your spiritual life? You know what the top two answers are? 
in terms of highly significant? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. And, and men, 81% said my mom was the most significant influencer. And female, 74% said my mom was the most significant. And men, 77% said my father was the most significant. And of females, higher than mom, 78% my father was the most significant person. You know where pastor is on that list? 57 and 44%. It's a major drop. You know where Sunday school teacher is on that? You don't want to know. It's almost 22%. So what does that tell us? If people, if our kids are going to be significantly impacted in faith, it's not most likely the pastor or the youth pastor. While those people are, are, are important, it's going to be us as parents living out authentic lives, doing what God has called us to do, and being willing to walk with our children along the way. We're in a partnership, by the way. You do know that. It's church and family working together and communicating faith. And so I don't in any way want to minimize the role of the church because Christ clearly said that he came for the church. And this, this process of, of growth is clearly identified in Scripture through the church, but it's also through the home. And if we do emphasize just the home and take away the church, that's not a good scenario. But if we take away the church and just do the home, then, you know, those both have to exist together. John Maxwell says, we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Let me give that to you again. We teach what we know, but we produce what we are. God has deliberately placed your kids in your home, and you are to prepare them, to disciple them, to challenge them, to deliver out, to, deli to live out each day with integrity. Discipleship begins in the home because kids will absorb the values that they see put into action. Parents, we've got to be those authentic doers. And hypocrisy is a serious issue. But you know what? We mess up, don't we? We mess up. We make mistakes. We have to go back and apologize to our kids. And in doing that, though, we can do one of two things. We can say, hey, that was, that, you don't worry about you. I mean, me, you worry about you. And we deflect that off. Or we say, you know what? You're right. Just like Shelby, I'd say, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm allowing other things to take up time that I could be in God's word. And I'm going to change that. And I began to change that and to change that and to change that in my life because it was not the reflection that I needed to do. And parents, that's going to happen. See, this is not about you being perfect. This is about you letting them know you're, you're, you fail, yes, and you're trying to work this out, but you're a fellow struggler with them walking along. And let me tell you how I'm figuring this out, how I'm living this, but I want you to walk alongside of me. And there are mistakes that I've made in my life that you don't have to repeat. You can choose to do them, yes, but you don't have to. 
I remember a discussion one day t telling the kids, look, there are decisions I made when I was younger that I think about every day. And if I could go back and change those decisions, I'd change them. But you know what? I can't. So you have two choices. You can either go down that road and you can make those same choices. But you know what? You have a choice right now to not have to be at that place of regret one day or you can choose a different path, the one I wish I had chosen, the one I'm trying to live out now as an adult and go that way and see where it takes you. See if it doesn't take you to a better place. See if it doesn't make you a better person. See if your life can't glorify Christ in a greater way. See if that won't take you to a place where God uses you to do something significantly. Yes, you can go that way. And I went down it, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't like where it ended. But I came to faith in Christ, and I'm trying to go another direction, and I'd love to see you join me in that same direction. That's humility. It's asking our kids to join us in those same issues. Now notice then the last one that I want you to see is intentional teachers. That they should make him known to their children. Did you see that? In verse 5, he established a testimony. He appointed a law. And he did that that they should make them known to their generation. This companion passage back uh, in Deuteronomy brings that out again. Verse 6 here says that the generation may come to know him and that they may arise and declare them to their children as well. We've got to be intentional in our teaching. Now, I know I gave a statistic a minute ago about Sunday school teachers, and some of you said, man, I, but don't discount that because there are teachers that you had from experience that were significant, and they invested in your life. And the intentional teaching that we have to have in our lives is, comes from not just where we are in the silo by ourselves, but it's being done in a group. So you need to pursue after teachers who are passionate about God's Word. You need to pursue after people who are wanting to understand God's Word and get alongside of them and listen to them and read things with them and make that a part of that. That is intentional learning. But parents, we've got to be intentional teaching to our kids as well. Now, what does that look like? Well, I can tell you how it looked in our home. Every Sunday, when we sat down for lunch, all right, what did you learn today? What did you learn in Sunday school? What did you learn from the sermon? And we would have a discussion about the sermon. Not about the preacher, about the sermon. And we would talk about, okay, you know, and I would, I would hear what the kids would say. I would, you know, listen to them. And then I would try to take one or two things that I, that I knew were really significant in that passage that had been taught. And I would say, you know, when I look at that passage, here are the things that I see. Here's the way that God challenged me today. And, I, you know, this week I just really, I was very convicted by that. And I just really feel like something needs to change. Or that was a truth that I needed to hear afresh and anew. Now, what did that do for my kids? That let them see how to process that information, how to take that, and what to do with it. We discussed scripture at bedtime. We would have things that we would read. They would have a, a, a daily reading that they had to do in their Bibles. And so when we would put them to bed, we'd say, okay, what did you read today? What are you reading? What did, what did God say to you today? How did you learn about that? And we would engage them in those discussions. We would use drive time as discipleship time. 
Do you know that your phone can connect with the radio in your car and you can actually broadcast content over that? Back then we had CDs, okay? You know, these little round things, you would put them in there. And, but we would order CDs and I would listen to them, but I would listen to them while the kids were in the car. And eventually there were things that they got interested in. And so I started putting those on my phone, that, which was communicating with the, the car radio. And we would listen to those. And there were spiritual conversations as they became teenagers that we never would have had if it had not come out of those drive times as discipleship. Some of you are driving a half hour for tennis and soccer and other things, and you are on the road, you are commuting. That is a time for you to be growing in your faith. Don't waste it on the oldie station. Please do not do it. Turn the drive time into discipleship time for you and for someone else as well. We went on vacation, and when we went on vacation, we, we studied about places we were going, and we found out about spiritual, significantly spiritual events that took place in those cities, and we just didn't see the stuff on the tours, on the brochure. We went to those places, those churches, those camps, those places where something significant had happened. We would go to a battlefield, and I would do research before we went to the battlefield, and I'd always have a story to tell about something spiritual that happened at that place, at that time, so that that was going together with those things together. Um, holidays, traditions, you know, we've got to learn to use teachable moments. And the last thing that I did, which my kids still talk about to this day, is there's this wonderful thing called a DVR that records things. And we would watch movies and videos, and if I saw a statement that was made that I was a worldview statement, I would stop and say, what did they just say? Back that up. And we'd watch it again, and I'd say, what is, how does Scripture address that issue? Is that a true statement? Would you agree with that statement? And what worldview is that? And we would talk about those statements that were being made in those media and in those areas. And it allowed me to then begin to set what they were watching and what they were looking at into a context of faith and how to process that and how to look at that. You know, those are just simple things, parents, that we can do. But guess what? All of us should be doing that. We should not just take what's being given to us in the media and not be have a critical eye toward that and learn from it. And when it speaks truth, sometimes the world speaks truth and you can say, you know what, that's the truth. And other times the world is speaking something that is not true and we need to point that out as well. Parents, Christians, I want to challenge you. Be an eager learner. Dig into God's Word. See the value in Scripture. Invest in a Bible. Invest in a study Bible. Invest yourself in a group, in a Sunday school group, in a group of other Christians. Be authentic in how you live out your life. Don't let your kids or other people see you as saying one thing and doing something else. Make the two things come together. But also... Be intentional in your teaching. Now, I think a lot of people would love to just hear their stories of how you, younger believers would love to hear the story of how you just walked through faith, how you found faith, how you study scripture, how you pray, 
how life events have challenged you and how you found faith. That's discipleship in many ways. Those are, those, are, those are conversations that begin that then allow us to engage with one another to greater spiritual discussions. Start with something simple and then go deeper. Let yourself go deeper in your learning and let that be a way that you're impacting the generations for Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had today just to look at this passage. God, it's a reminder of the integrity that must be in our lives. And even as this passage closes and talks about David and his integrity of heart and he guided others with skillful hands. God, I pray for the parents in this room that we would take serious these commandments from Scripture and that we would guide others with skillful hands. But God, transformation doesn't begin just in us doing activity and in us just reading Scripture. It comes through a changed life. And God, I pray for those in this room today that need to be changed by you, that need to know the story of redemption in Christ and to know that they can bring their burdens to him and find forgiveness and know that when they place their faith and trust in you, there is a journey that begins of discipleship. The Holy Spirit living in us as we live spirit-filled lives, understanding the truths of your word as you change us and transform us. God, if there's someone here that needs to know you, needs to know the hope of Christ, I pray that you give them the courage, even as we sing this song, to come forward and talk to me or someone else and say, I need to follow Jesus. Now, this message has been addressed toward parents today, and now there are many in this room. I pray you give us the courage to challenge our kids and to allow you to challenge us and to change us and to watch that change process happen in our lives for your glory. God, I pray for those who need to join, maybe even today, this church. I pray that they could find a place where they could be challenged in your word. Lord, thank you for the reassurances that you've given us from your word as the resource for life. God, I pray that you would challenge us to act even today. Lord, we love you, and we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him, 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.